pressure. <laughs> In your pew Bible, it's page 210. This is Ruth 1.22 through 2.13. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. The word of God for the people of God. All right, Vince, come on up. So here, here we go. This is a big moment. Uh, so so uh, let me share with you just a little bit of a word of introduction for, for Vince. Vince Slocum, come on up. Vince uh, is, is somebody who, uh, as a young man, as a teenager, uh, felt that God was calling him to, uh, to ministry, and maybe he was, was called to be a preacher, a pastor of some sort. Um, like, like many of us who hear that call, who hear God's voice, uh, uh, Vince ran in the other direction. Uh, he, he said, uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, go in a different direction. Uh, but, but Vince um, still spent 
all of his life in some sort of community service or other. So Vince uh, has, has worked for Habitat Huma- for Humanity here in, the, in Flint, here in our neighborhood, actually. This is where I first, first met Vince was when he was working on Habitat projects here around our, our church. Vince has also worked for the city of Flint in, uh, in the city planning office. Uh, Vince is, some, is somebody who has, has been building community and serving his, uh, his community uh, all his life. And now, finally, after, after I'm not going to say how many years of, of running and avoiding, uh, avoiding that call, Vince has finally reached a point in his life where he said, uh, you know, I think I'm ready to answer the phone uh, and see where this leads me. Uh, so Vince, uh, Vince is going to share a word with us this morning. Before he does, I also want to say uh, Vince's family have become part of our Court Street Church family. Uh, his wife, Carmen, has put up with him rehearsing his sermon endlessly all week long. Uh, his daughter, Emily, uh, went to camp this summer. I'm sorry, I'm talking about you. Went to camp this summer and has shared her gifts and her art with this congregation already. Uh, their son is up in the nursery, I think. So so uh, they've become part of our Court Street Church family over the last couple of years. I'm thrilled that you're going to hear Vince's voice this morning. I believe that God is going to speak through him. Um, and I hope that you will join me in very warmly welcoming him up front for the very first time. Are you switched on? Let's make sure. There we go. All right. You're live. Yeah, you're right. No pressure, right? <laughs> I want to tell you guys about David. I first met David about seven years ago. I was, I was still an undergraduate at the time, and and to fill out my resume, I, I took an internship with the city of Flint in the, in the city planning office. And David was a homeless man that would hang out in front of the building. And he would fish cigarette butts out of the ashtray and, and ask folks that were coming in and out of the building if, if they had any change that, that they could spare. And at the time, I was a smoker. I'm not a smoker anymore, so all of my friends in the choir can stop burning their disapproval into the back of my neck. <laughs> Uh, but at the time, I was smoking about a pack a day, and it was, it was during my many daily excursions out to the front of the building to have a cigarette that, that I would encounter David. And, and we fell into a kind of pattern. David would come up to me as soon as he saw me, and he'd, he'd ask me if I had any change that I could spare. And Sometimes I did, and other times I didn't. And, and then he'd always ask me if I had any, any cigarettes that, that I could spare, and and I would sigh. And I'd do the whole smoker thing where I padded my pockets as though I didn't know exactly which pocket that pack of cigarettes was in and, and exactly how many cigarettes were in it. And, and so I'd, I would take my, my cigarettes out and I'd, I'd open the pack and pretend to weigh the gravity of what I was about to sacrifice in, in that moment. And, and usually I would give David a, a cigarette or two and that was how it went most days with David and I. One day, I decided I wanted to do something really nice for David. So I had actually just recently been promoted from, from unpaid intern to full-time professional planner for the city of Flint. And I was, I was feeling really happy about myself. And, and as it turned out, I, I showed up to work that day, and there was a $20 bill in my wallet. And I thought, you know what? When I go outside today, I'm going to take this whole tw- I'm going to give this whole 20 to David. Like, that's, that's just going to make his day. I was so excited. Like, David's going to hit the roof. And, 
And so I got back into my office and I took the 20 out of my wallet and I, even, I folded it up really nicely and, and stuck it in this little pocket here on my jeans that's really not good for anything other than $20 bills and pocket knives. And, and so <laughs> later that day, I, I went outside with my $20 bill and, and sure enough, David was there and and he came up to me and he asked me if I had any change that I could spare. And man, I hit the stance. I pulled out that $20 bill and I said, oh yeah, here, I got you. And I handed him the $20 bill. I was, I was so excited. And he took it from me and, and he put it in his pocket and he said, he said, thanks, man. You got any cigarettes you can spare? <laughs> and I thought, thanks, man. I just gave you $20. That seems like king's ransom for the guy who's fishing cigarette butts out of the ashtray. Thanks, man. Can I have a cigarette? I was a little miffed. And so I patted my pockets and I, I pulled out my pack of cigarettes and I, I gave him a couple of cigarettes and, and went back into my office. And, and that was it. That was, that was the end of it that day with, with David. A couple of weeks later, I had another encounter with him. I was walking out to the lobby of City Hall, to the, a little snack kiosk in front of the, the water department. And, and as fate would have it, David was in the lobby that day instead of out in front of the building where he usually stood. And, and sure enough, when David saw me, he came up and, and he asked if I had any change that I could spare. And, and I was still feeling a little annoyed about the whole $20 thing. And so I said, you know, I got $1.50 in my pocket. I'm going to get a Diet Coke and... And then I'm broke till payday, and, and that was more or less true. And so then David asked me if I was about to go outside and have a cigarette. And I said, you know what, David, actually, I, I had my last one on the way into work today. I don't even have any for myself, let alone for you. And, and David stopped. And he looked at me with an expression that I can only describe to you as genuine concern. And I kid you not, without patting his pockets once, he reached down and pulled out a pack of cigarettes and opened it up and produced not one, not two, but three cigarettes that he then offered to me. I was shocked. For two years, I'd been hanging out in front of that building with David. I'd never once seen him with a pack of cigarettes. I was shocked, and, and if I can be a little honest with you guys, I was, I was a little grossed out too. You see, I, I looked at those cigarettes in his hand and I, and in the midst of this, this selfless act, I thought, oh, David, I don't know where you got those from. And I don't know what else is bouncing around in those pockets with them. And, and then a thought occurred to me. I realized that David had asked me if I was going outside to have a cigarette. Uh, clearly, he had some of his own, so he wasn't asking in the hopes that I would give him some of mine. He was asking, as you would a friend who, who maybe just wanted a little bit of company out there. You see, I realized that while all this time, David had just been the homeless guy in front of City Hall to me that, that over the course of time with, with David, he had come to see us as just smoking buddies. 
And so I, I, I took them from David, and I, and I, I reached out to, to shake his hand and, and say thank you. And, and David gave me this big smile, and, and he grabbed my hand, and he tugged me into this really uncomfortable and kind of aggressive hug. And so here I am standing in the lobby of Flint City Hall in an uncomfortable hug with a man a full foot shorter than I am and about 25 angry customers in the water department as an audience. <laughs> I had never seen David more happy than he'd been in that moment. I'd never seen him more pleased with himself than he had been to be there for me in my time of need. I thought about David a lot as I revisited today's reading. You see, in today's reading, we hear the story of Naomi and Ruth. And and as widows, Naomi and Ruth don't have any income that they can rely on. They have no support on which they can depend. And so when we meet them in today's reading... Ruth is gleaning in the fields of a man named Boaz to provide enough food for herself and for Naomi. Now, for those of you who don't know, gleaning was a common practice among the Israelites. It actually comes from a commandment that God handed down directly to the Israelites. And what God said is, for those of you who work the fields, for those of you who are blessed enough to have land and to have crops, when you're out working your fields, as you make your way to the edge of the field, leave that food there. Don't take it. Rather, let that food be for those at the margins of your field, the widowed, the refugees, the poor, and the homeless. Now, God knew exactly what he was doing when he handed that commandment down to the Israelites. You'll notice he didn't say to the Israelites, when you're out in your fields, grab every last scrap of food that you can get. Pick every last grain off the sheaf so that you can bring in a bountiful harvest and there'll be lots to go around. He doesn't say to the Israelites, when you're out in your fields, pick every last grape off the vine. Shake every last olive out of the tree and then heap it all up and take one-tenth of that heap and, and give it to your church or your synagogue so that they can distribute it among the poor. Instead, what God says to the Israelites is, when you're out in your fields working your land and bringing in the harvest, as you make your way to the edge of the fields, don't take that food at all. Just leave it there. Instead, let those at the margins of your field, the widowed, the refugee, the poor, and the homeless, let them come to you. Let them work in your fields as though it were their own land. Let them work side by side with yourself and your family as equal participants of the harvest. You see, God knew what a pride-swallowing place the world can be for those at the margins of the field. God knew what a dignity-devouring existence those at the margins of the field are, are forced to eke out on a daily basis, to have to beg for your bare subsistence, to live or to die on the kindness or the scorn of strangers. 
And in the kingdom that God was building through his law, everyone is an equal participant in the harvest. Everyone is entitled to the dignity that comes from providing for themselves and for those around them. One of the things that we don't hear in today's reading is how shortly after arriving in Bethlehem, Naomi changes her name. She tells everyone not to call her Naomi anymore, but instead to call her Mara, which in the Hebrew means bitter. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about why she does this, other than to say that the Lord had dealt bitterly with her. However, I think that Naomi knew the world that she was coming home to. I think she knew that the world to which she was returning would not wish to see her as an equal, as a friend, or as a companion, but rather as an object of pity, as a cautionary tale. She knew that the world to which she was returning would not wish to see, would wish to see her misery as an aspect of her identity. She was a place upon which they could place their charity. They could take their good deeds. She was a place where they could hand a $20 bill, pat themselves on the back, and and then walk away. I learned that lesson from David that day. You see, I realized that when I had made such a show of handing $20 to David, what I had in fact done was to reinforce an imbalance, an inequality that existed within our relationship. And and when David gave me those cigarettes in the lobby of City Hall, what he had in fact done was to restore the balance of dignity that existed in our friendship. And in the process, had reclaimed a piece of his own dignity. You see, human love and compassion, while an absolutely beautiful and breathtaking thing, can inadvertently sometimes leave us to keep those on whom we offer our compassion at arm's length and sometimes slightly below us, whether we intend to or not. However, in today's reading, we see that God's love and God's law is such that it creates equality. God's love is such that it restores dignity. After I ended my uncomfortable hug with David and in the lobby of City Hall, we, we walked out to the front of the building and and he gave me a light, and I, and I smoked not one, not two, but all three of those cigarettes in front of the building with David that day. For 20 minutes, we stood together in front of City Hall. We, we talked, and we, we laughed, and we, we joked around together. Just two smoking buddies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of your love and your law. We ask that you inscribe it on our hearts and on our minds. That we may always love in such a way that we create equality and we restore dignity. That we are able to be vessels of your love and compassion rather than our own. Amen.